Hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair. My name is Gabrielle and welcome back to another episode. So I know I kind of disappeared for a while there and honestly I was just kind of on vacation and I didn't have time to prepare any episodes and life got super busy which is kind of the downside of working full-time while also kind of doing the podcast and creative stuff on the side but I'm so glad to be back and thank you guys for being so patient and coming back to listen to another episode next time I will be sure to prepare things in advance and try and make a little bit more time for it but I just got totally swamped and I had no time to prepare before I went on vacation and kind of was out of reach for for a little while but I am back and I'm really excited to talk to you guys about our woman of the week who is less murder and more mayhem this week her name is Mary Ecke and she was on the US national list as being a dangerous threat to national security in addition to that she was one of the first female doctors in Oregon, extremely active in local politics and human rights, and also provided birth control and women's health care to those who both could and could not afford it. She's quoted as basically being a friend to the everyman and those down and out on luck. Overall, her life is super interesting, and I'm really excited to talk about her in this episode with you guys this week. Without further ado, let's get started and talk about our woman of the week. Marie was born on April 7th, 1872. Her father's name was Sarah and her father was John. Nope. Her mother's name was Sarah and her father was John. She was the fifth of five daughters and only went to high school for one year before dropping out to support her family by working in the local textile mills. As a young woman, she loudly and vocally expressed her disinterest in any man who would pursue her and began a relationship with another girl from her high school named Bessie Holcomb. She ended up quitting her job at the textile mill in 1892 and going to live with Bessie in a house along the Columbia River. They lived outside a tiny town known as the Dolls or the Dyes. I'm not sure. It's D-A-L-L-E-S. Anybody in the Pacific Northwest who knows the correct answer, feel free to reach out and let me know. And they weren't there for too long before making local waves. On July 21st, 1893, sensational story involving both Marie and Bessie but not for the reason that you might actually be thinking. Bessie had been working as a teacher for the Wasco Independent Academy, and the superintendent refused to pay her the salary promised for working that school year. This, of course, made Marie furious, and she began that day pacing in front of the superintendent's office. His office was huge because he also happened to be a land developer and a reverend named Orson D. Taylor. Furious at the mistreatment of not only Bessie, but the other teachers who were on staff at the academy, Marie finally cornered Taylor when he tried to escape without confrontation. They argued until Marie ended up horsewhipping him until he agreed to pay what was owed to everybody. Not only did this get covered in the newspapers, a lot of the townspeople also agreed with her actions. Nobody really liked this reverend Taylor, and I guess he had a reputation for kind of shorting everybody, not really paying what he was owned, making land fees and taxes really unmanageable. So they really, really agreed with her actions and actually applauded her for it. They actually held a raffle for the whip that she used on him and gave both Marie and Bessie the money raised for selling the whip in the raffle. In 1897, Eki moved to San Francisco and completed two years of med school. She started at the Physicians and Surgeons Medical College and then moved to the University of California Medical Department and then back to Oregon and finished med school 
at the University of Oregon in 1903. Sometime between the University of California Medical Department and the University of Oregon, she and Bessie Holcomb separated. Like I said before, she was one of the first 60 women in, in Oregon to become a physician, and she opened her own practice with an emphasis on health concerns of women and children in 1905. She became a local hero when she volunteered and worked with victims of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. So for those of you who maybe don't know or who live outside the United States, in 1906, San Francisco had an earthquake which was recorded as one of the worst and more, most deadly earthquakes that have happened in the history of the United States. And I actually looked this up and this disaster is still ranked as the greatest loss of life from a natural disaster in California as well as high on the list of the worst American disasters. For nearly a hundred years later, this was the largest natural disaster with the most deaths. Now, Eki worked with another group of doctors and physicians to provide the relief needed since the local government had not been prepared and lacked the resources needed to help everyone. She was the only female doctor on that mission and she was put in charge of the obstetrics unit in a 300-bed San Francisco hospital. For her work there, she ended up earning a medal and a commendation from the U.S. Army and recognition from the California governor as well as San Francisco's mayor. Later on that year, she returned to her hometown for six months to take care of her mother, Sarah, who ended up dying in February of 1907. In addition to becoming one of the first women in Oregon to become to be a medical practitioner, she is also recognized as the first publicly known and open lesbian on the U.S. West Coast, which is super cool considering her kind of status and her political activities. Her longest lasting relationship began in 1905 with Harriet Speckard, who was the niece of the Olympia Brewing Company founder, Leopold Schmidt. And that brewing company is actually still around today. It's pretty popular. Speckard and... Marie and Harriet were together about 10 years before they decided to adopt a baby girl named Mary. They remained close for their entire lives up until Speckard's death, and even after their relationship ended, they continued to raise Mary together throughout their separation. Now, Marie was also, this is going to be confusing because her name is Marie and her daughter's name is Mary, but Marie is the woman I'm talking about. So Marie was an active member of the Portland's Birth Control League and helped to spread information and health advice about birth control even when it was considered illegal to do so. Sometimes between 1905 and 1915, she began to perform abortions with no regard to social class or status and used a sliding scale to charge her patients. They would only have to pay what they could afford and oftentimes this meant that she would charge wealthy women more for the procedure in order to help cover the costs of patients who couldn't afford to pay. And in addition to doing this, instead of kind of limiting herself or only practicing abortions or women's health, she would continue her general medical practice as well, which was kind of unheard of at that time. Usually if you were an abortion doctor, it was you were that only and um, you didn't practice general medicine, but she did both and uh, continued with her practice for years. In 1913, Marie joined the strike of a group of primarily women cannery workers at the Oregon Packing Company who were protesting poor working conditions. They were being paid only five to eight cents per hour, which was low for even that time period. And in addition, they had inconsistent working hours. So it's like you're hardly getting paid and then you hardly have any hours on top of that. At this strike, there were members of the industrial workers of the world present as well as previously known community activists for socialism. And when they joined, the strike grew to include the right to free speech. So the industrial workers of the world were also known as the Wobblies, 
which I just think is the coolest nickname. They were a union that believed in one union for all with authority and management shifted to the workers. So this is kind of like the beginning of her relationship with them. She ended up becoming one of its leaders at the strike because of her professional status and her just way with words and how she was able to interact with people in the community. The strike continued for days before the police ended up storming the strikers and Marie had to watch as a 30-year-old pregnant woman was dragged away. Enraged, she confronted the officers and was severely clubbed for her interference. It's kind of weird that like a story from the early 1900s sounds similar to the way that police use tactics today to kind of break up protesters and things like that. I feel like the primary response in police structures shouldn't be the same today as it was in the early 1900s, but that's just my opinion. Anyway, the strike ended a few days later, but the brutality that Marie witnessed radicalized her even more. She declared herself to be a radical socialist and an anarchist, and became an extremely influential voice when it came to the unemployment crisis of 1913 to 1914, demanding better working conditions of those who were jobless in Oregon. This is kind of where she becomes known as kind of the voice for people who maybe were downtrodden or didn't really have much of a voice themselves. Her reputation spread so that Margaret Sanger actually came to her and they worked together when she visited Portland in 1916. I just learned this recently. I knew the name, but I didn't really know what effect she had on history. But Margaret Sanger was essentially the mother of Planned Parenthood. She was a birth control and women's health advocate as well as a sex educator who kind of traveled around the United States passing out these booklets about birth control and advocation towards safe sex. A lot of the groups, coalitions that she kind of founded ended up turning into the program, the company we know as as Planned Parenthood today. So essentially she was the mother of Planned Parenthood. When Sanger visited in 1916, Marie Ecke was one of her close colleagues who helped distribute packets about the Sanger's family booklet, and they both, along with a handful of other women and men, were arrested for distributing these pamphlets. Luckily, nothing really happened to them at this time. The men were fined, but the fines were later dropped, and then the women were released with a warning. And it was after working with Sanger that Marie went back to the East Coast, that Marie went up to Seattle to help treat those wobblies, the industrial workers of the world, who'd been hurt at the dock on their way to support striking mill workers. At this time, she was so well known that the unemployed were known as, quote, her army, and striking workers were known as, quote, her boys. Now, there's actually a quote from the New Bedford Standard who called her, quote, the little fighting doctor who led a one-woman fight for the unemployed of Oregon and won. Around this time, the United States was becoming increasingly involved with entering World War One, which Eki actually objected to. She believed that entering this war was nothing more than a grab for profits by capitalists and an imperialistic adventure for the government. And as Portland began to grow more and more nationalistic, Marie became even more of a political outsider, protesting pre-war campaigns and bringing banners that said things like, prepare to die working men, KP, Morgan, and co. want preparedness for profit. Now, obviously with this wave of nationalism, others didn't take too well to her protests, and she was attacked at one of them, which led to a massive fight and a subsequent arrest of her and those who supported her, as well as others involved in the fight. But this didn't stop Marie, and she continued to protest even as the U.S. entered war in 
1917. This has really kind of put what put her on the United States radar as a quote national threat to security. As she continued with her protesting, they were able to arrest her under the newly revised Espionage Act. She was charged and convicted of sedition, and even though she tried to appeal to higher courts, her case was rejected. President Woodrow Wilson commuted her three-year sentence to a sentence of one year and a day. When she went to prison, she was 48 years old and started serving her time in San Quentin State Prison on October 19, 1920. Her other prison mates were women serving sentences for things like homicide and theft, and then there were some in there for performing abortions. She became infamous on the cell block for being the only, quote, political prisoner during this time period. After serving for 10 months, she was released on August 9, 1921 with a reduced sentence for good behavior. Now, I just think it's crazy that because she was protesting a war, she got, was able to get arrested and like for sedition, I kind of had to look that up really quick. The Espionage Act prohibited obtaining information, recording pictures, or copying descriptions with any information relating to national defense with the intent or reason to believe that the information may be used for the injury of the United States. So basically, they kind of like accused her of being a spy and saying that because she was protesting, she had the intent to like give information that could be used to injure the United States, which it really doesn't seem like that. It seems like she was just protesting the U.S. being involved in general. But I think that plus the fact that she was like a known anarchist slash socialist, um, or at least affiliated with the anarchy and socialist, the socialist party, was just enough for them to arrest her. And yeah, the Espionage Act has been uh, amended numerous times, but when it was first released and when it was first kind of created in 1917 as a federal law, I think it was definitely just like, all right, you're being annoying. Go to jail and stop talking type of thing. That's my opinion of it. I would love to know what you guys think of it. So she was released on August 9th, 1921 after serving 10 months with a reduced sentence for good behavior, just in time for the Red Scare where most of her friends were either imprisoned or restricted greatly from participating in protests and other political activity. She chose to return to her medical practice and resume her life there as a general practitioner. The current leader of the Wobblies was one of, one of her friends, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, and Flynn would live with her and Marie's daughter Mary on and off for the next decade or so. When Marie had a heart attack in 1930, she ended up selling her medical practice and Flynn came to help assist her for the next several years as her daughter Mary had just eloped. When Marie was recovered, Flynn moved back to the East Coast and became a national leader for the Communist Party USA. So that's kind of a cool fun fact, but also probably why Marie was like on the US national watch list. Despite being retired for all intents and purposes, Many radical and labor leaders would come and visit her at her home, paying their respects and listening to her advice. In 1950, Marie spent a year at the Good Samaritan Hospital in Portland after fracturing her hip in a fall. She then went on to a nursing home just outside of Portland and died two years later on July 13, 1952 at 80 years old. Her obituary was published in newspapers all across the United States from Portland to New York all morning the day she died. She's written about by one of her friends in the New York Times as, quote, a woman of passion, of convocation, and a real friend of the have-nots of this world. What I find kind of cool is that recently in August of 2019, Marie was one of those who was inducted in the Rainbow Honor Walk which is a walk of fame in San Francisco's Castro neighborhood that honors LGBTQ plus people who have, quote, made significant contributions in their fields. And that 
is the incredibly detailed and very fully lived life of Marie Ecke. I would love to know what you guys thought of her, her life. If there's anything that I've missed that you think is important to mention, please feel free to reach out to me at Frumious Reads. That's F-R-U-M-I-O-U-S-R-E-A-D-S. I'm on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, and I'm most active on Twitter. So if you want to reach out to me there, then that's a good place to reach me. And if you have any questions or comments about this episode, let me know what your thoughts were. And I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We are on Apple, Google. I want to say LimeWire, but that's long dead. (laughs) So that's not true. Uh, That's been in my head though lately. Um, Okay, so Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Libsyn, Amazon, basically anywhere that you can listen to podcasts, we are there. And if you want to check out some cool brief anecdotes or little behind the scenes stuff like pictures that didn't really make it into this week's podcast, feel free to go check out frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair. That's the podcast homepage as well. And you could find the script for this podcast as well as pictures and any other kind of like behind the scenes information that maybe didn't make it into this episode. Our sources for this week are Wikipedia. Uh, They have a really cool entry on Marie as well as the Historic Women South Coast, a website that has a really informational article published about Marie Ecke. And then the Oregon Encyclopedia, which has different people from Oregon who made their mark in history. You can check out all those articles and more um, if you guys are interested in learning more about Marie Ecke. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you guys next week. As always, stay spooky friends. Goodbye.